this is the most excited podcast that we've been involved in. (laughs) (laughs) This is Jai Hitchcocks, and you're listening to The Jai and Woody Show. Right, uh, welcome to another episode of the Jai and Woody Show. I think we're at episode five. We're just flying, eh, Woody, aren't we? How are we? It's flying, it's flying, and uh, we've got a great guest today, come up Trump's on here with uh, Ben Fairler. <laughs> yep, yeah, we've gone for the juicy referee, uh, we've gone for the top-notch, leading Super League referee, Ben Thaler. How are we, mate? Good, mate, thanks. You like that? You like that? Yeah, I like that, yeah, that. Yeah. What are you after now? They didn't give Hixie um, that. No. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't give him that, mate. <laughs> anyway, we'll get right into it. Uh, I guess the first question is, where, where did it all begin? For Miss, do I say sir, mister? I don't know what to call you, off no, the field. No, just Ben, just Ben. Yeah, just Ben. Right, where did it all begin for Ben Thaler? Right, well, it... Um, did back, you play the game? Did we, did we? A little bit, yeah, at school. I played at school, I played in the same team as uh, Benny Westwood, but we, we played rugby union to start with. Um, I went on a couple of like rugby union tours to Blackpool and stuff like that. People go to Australia now and things like that. We got Blackpool, but that's going from Normandy, I suppose. <laughs> um, but things have probably changed there. Um, it, by mistake, we there's a refereeing course on at school. Several of us took it. Benny took it as well. Um, went on this course. What would we'd be then? Twelve, something like that, in his first year. Yep. Um, so it's 25 years ago last month, actually. Upsets everybody. I could referee for another 25 years. That upsetting. Play for more on it. Um, so that's where it that's where it started off. And I didn't fancy taking it seriously at all. And uh, then ended up going along to watch um, my rubber play rugby and no referee turned up, so I ended up refereeing it and then it just went on from there. Thrown in the deep end. Yeah, uh, and then the, the the first game, I the week after I thought that were all right actually, I'll have another go and I got 10 quid, so um, I thought I'll have another go at this and I went and refereed Stanley versus Milford under 10s that Ryan Bailey played in. Um, and Stanley Was he better Ferry. back then? It was still a pain in the ass then, but um, <laughs> and it never changed. But anyway, um, Ryan and numerous players, Dwayne Barker, Richie Mathers, they were all in that Milford squad, Killer, uh, and a couple of other guys playing in the Stanley Rangers side that had Chester's brother playing in it, uh, Mark Chester. And, and the players that you see come through have, have been quite impressive right all the way through, like Benny, still playing now and still refereeing, which I was doing when we were kids. I'd, so what... What point did you think this is going to be serious for me? I'm going to become a referee. I'm not going to bother with the playing side. What What was that point? Well, I only ever played at school, and then you know I was involved. In, I preferred cricket. When it moved to summer, I played cricket as well and things like that. So I had to go to the refereeing, and that was different days to what we'd we'd play if you were actually playing. Um, so I I went on a did a couple of games in different levels and things, and then and then again got thrown in the deep end by mistake. So. 15 years old, I was refereeing Open Age Rugby League um, at the likes of Upton Ooh. and Charleston and Street House. My first game in a nines tournament in Wakefield Park was Street House versus Charleston, and they kicked um, several <laughs> bells out of each other. And uh, from that, I, uh, the other older lads watching thought, you know, he's, this young kid's quite good, we'll give him a go. So I then got a, a, an Open Age game the week after, for long game. Um, and then it continued like that. And at the end of the year, I went and did um, a fitness test in 1997 at Sutton Park in St. Helens. I did this test. <clears throat> I told them I was about 
16, 17 nearly when actually I was 15 when I was 16. But anyway, uh, did this test, did quite well. I was fit then, <laughs> uh, before you say it. Uh, I was thin as well <laughs> and had all my hair. Uh, no, this is mine. Um, and they came up to me after the game and said, listen, uh, we've been doing really, really well. We're going to put you in this weekend refereeing Dodder versus London Scholars in the NCL. How old are you? And I was like, oh, uh, nearly 18. Actually, it was my 16th <laughs> birthday the week after. So that it wouldn't probably happen now. We've got young lads coming into it, but with your DBS checks and all that sort of stuff around child welfare and things, that, that probably wouldn't happen like since. So I'm quite lucky to get in and thrown in like that. So who, take us back, who were the referees then? And who, who was somebody that you would have looked up to watching the Super League on TV? Well, coming from Normington, um, just... In, in between, obviously, Castleford and Wakefield, I actually remember both societies. So I was a member at Wakefield Referee Society, um, where the legendary Fred Lindock came from. And at that point, they had no grade one referees there, whereas Castleford had Russell Smith and Steve Presley and a number of guys who officiated at the top-level sports. So I used to train with they, those guys on a Thursday night as well. Um, and coming through, you'd get paired up locally to be reserve referee so I could end up being reserve referee for Russell or Steve Prez um, on, on Super League games at 16, 17 years of age and things like that so you'd look up to those two guys um, Russell was obviously one of the if you like top referees for a long long time with Stuart Cummins throughout that era uh, and Prez was, was actually right at the top of his game at that point um, just before referees challenge cup final and things so that were great to work with those guys and it it was different then, because obviously, whilst the sport was full-time in the way of players, they weren't all full-time, but the majority of clubs were going full-time. Refereeing weren't full-time, and a lot of people, I think Prez was a milkman, Russell had his own business, um, a few of the guys were teachers and things like that. Um, so you, it, it was different, they'd have a beer after, mm. or three or four. Um, I think the players back then would have a beer at half time as well, wouldn't they? I won't go as far as half time. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a ref at half time. Jason Mooney, Parramatta, cigarette uh, straight after, boom. Yeah, I've seen uh, a couple of players have cigarettes after games. And yeah, I mean, like you said, though, it wasn't a full time professional occupation then. So, um, you know, there would have been that yeah. a little bit of light heartedness and uh, probably weren't as concerned on the fitness levels because. I don't know. Do you think the game? What? How fast was the game back then? Know, Do you I see think, a I, massive difference now? Or I think the game was quite quick. You watched that first like Super League Grand Final and highlights back from when it like the late nineties and things like that. And I, I think the game were really quick, and we still had to be because we were part time. The fitness tests then was a Cooper Cooper run, and you had to do three thousand meters in twelve minutes, which which is some going. And the majority of refs then. Um, when I went up to grade one in 2001, the majority of referees then were in the 40s coming up to 50. Because I, I remember when I got up, people, there were only Richard Silverwood in his 20s, um, Ian Smith was in his mid, mid 30s, if you like. The rest of the guys were early 40s. So <coughs> I brought the average age down quite a lot, but these guys had to still maintain this fitness level. And some of them were really, really fit and dedicated, obviously, to doing it. And the game was fast. I do think it was faster. I, I agree Less with penalties. you. I, well, I, I when I first made, I made my debut in two thousand, and I think the game were mega fast. I think the um, the surrender tacklers helped yeah. that. I think because obviously back in the day you could just hit, drop, play the ball, it was like take and pass at one point. So I, I feel the speed of the game has always been fast. Um, 
But what? So what has being a full time referee? What has that? Was it made the referee game better? Because if we're saying that referees are just as fit as they was when they were part time, what's it actually? You know, advantage. I, w- I wouldn't say we're, we're as fit. Or if you were like we, the fitness levels are expected higher. You have a conditioner now, so obviously that that the levels of fitness for the game, and the, if you like the speed of the game, we have one referee over here and things like that. You've got a game which only has three officials on and a video referee. You can't use a video referee on live calls. So you, you've got to be, you, you've got to be fit. Yeah. Um, the fitness is is um, a massive side to it, but I think the preparation side of it is a huge, huge thing in the way that you're not rushing around working all day, finishing at five o'clock, chucking your kit bag in the car, getting stuck in the traffic on the 62, and then it's a case of bang, in the dressing room, got to get straight out, and and mistakes are made, a lot more mistakes. I think by being full-time, and there's a group of you, and now there's 10 of us, which is the most we've ever had over here, um, there's there's more of a consistency, I believe, and the way that people bounce off one another, and you can, if you like, learn from your peers, which you could do before, but you'd only see them, what, every other week or something like that. Whereas three or four times a week, you're working with your guys, training, reviews, looking at different aspects of the game and things like that. Uh, and continually looking at obviously trends in the games. What we can do better, what we're IDing better, maybe in the rook if you like. And obviously things have changed and people are pleased that we, we've got rid of this passing into the players and deliberately playing the ball into man and stuff like that. And the referee's taking um, more ownership if you like. And, and the ownership went back on the players actually to play the ball in space and, and not bring the defenders in. So I, I think all that sort of stuff and the fact that you, you, your preparation it can be reviewed and things like that properly after is far better than somebody because I found it hard. I was lucky that the guys who I worked with and I only had one year in Super League before I went full time. My bosses uh, and I worked for a recruitment company like rugby. One of them actually played for York when he was in his 20s and things like that, Andy Preston, but they like rugby, so I had a bit of understanding. I could finish work early on a Friday. They'd let me finish half an hour earlier on a Tuesday because training was in Wigan. Um, and he speaks to a lot of these kids now and, and how they get time off to go to Toronto and Toulouse and Catalan who are part-time, I, yeah. I just don't know. So, yeah. so that is a massive key, I think, to it all. Yeah, um, we will touch more on that rule change, but that is... That is crazy that, uh, that in the ruck, that it literally changed in a weekend. Um, mm. I mean, there was so much of it leading up and then it, the rule change uh, got put in place and then you haven't seen it. It's almost like it just vanished over, well, you might have seen a little bit more of it, but as far, as much as it was happening, I think the Catalans cast game was, um, that it was just everywhere and, and something had to happen directly after that. But um, I just haven't, I haven't seen any of it. No, there's hardly, yeah. there's hardly been any of it. And you say yeah. that game, and I like what Shenny came out and said afterwards and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and even Pally sort and, of come and, out and said, and you know, combat cheating with cheating, yeah. Fair, fair play to him for coming out and saying that because it worked, it changed. Now we had any more of it since. Yeah, that no. was quite good. Um, so just on that, uh, 10, because obviously we, we go, when I was at CAS, we went to... Um, What's the place called? Uh, Lanzarote. Lanzarote. When you there, guys are yeah. there, yeah, we share it with the referees. Um, there was just a lot of faces that I'd not seen before, and I sort of asked the question to myself then: uh, How many full-time referees? I think it was seven back then. then yeah. Now is it? Now you're saying ten? Now we're up to ten. But I think the two years that we went, one year um, there was just a full-time squad, and I think John Sharp was in charge at the time, and he invited a couple of lads who he thought would progress into Super League. You yep. likes of uh, Chris Leverbar, who was sadly no longer with us, but um, Matt Thomason and George Stokes and Tim Roby, they came along with us. Yeah. Uh, but then the year after, when Gans 
uh, came in charge again and said, right, we'll open this up to the guys who have some aspirations to get there. And I think there were about 24 of us. Yeah. All these lads from the, the grade one, the championship panel, and some of the younger kids coming up had a bit of aspiration to get there. And I thought that worked really, really well because obviously there was more of you there so you could do more things on the field and things like that in game yeah. situations and stuff. Uh, and obviously a bit more competition and obviously the, a massive like age difference as well in, in the guys in the group as well. Yeah, how far, how far <coughs> off do you see the Super League, um, let's, how should I put it, refereeing structure compared to the current Australian NRL refereeing structure? Take away, <laughs> take away, um, Take away bunker and all that sort of stuff. We will discuss that a little bit more in depth. But um, 16 full-time NRL referees. How, how far off do you think uh, it, it, it is over here? As far as what you guys what you guys uh, are allowed, uh, what you guys have uh, at your availability, etc. Well, you look at resources straight away. And these figures might be wrong, but when we were over there for the World Cup in 2017, I think Tony Archer was there. Current, but their boss then had something like a budget of eight million dollars per year. Yeah. Whereas I think Steve Ganson's is one point one million pound. So you've got a huge, huge difference. Yeah. I know the bunker takes a million out of that. Well, they said it was a million. Daily Telegraph's reported that it's more near three point five million, million. Yeah. which is ridiculous. A lot of that I think was a setting up of it, though. I think yeah. the, the general yearly running on that. Um, they have. Um, when I say conditioners, they don't just have one. Yeah. They have a full-time physio working with them, a full-time conditioner, five coaches, uh, a different video refereeing panel who could be next officials as well. Yeah. Uh, but they've also got every game on TV. So they've got the seven NRL games per week on TV. They've got two refs. But they did have more full-time officials contracted in when we were there in 17 to, the, what, to what they've got now. Yeah. They, they've reduced the hours that obviously certain ones... Um, put in um, and that same for touch judges as well they had a couple of guys who was actually full time yeah. in those roles it's interesting just to get the the difference you know because obviously uh, as players we're constantly talking about the difference between uh, the the actual playing itself from the NRL but it is interesting to get you know uh, the refereeing part of it and just how different on uh, as terms to but what, do you, what do you find Jay because you've played in, in the NRL and You've obviously played in championships, Super League over years. What do you... Every competition, every professional competition in both hemispheres. Well, what... That's how I want to be addressed. But, but how do you find <laughs> the... <laughs> the only player to score a try on debut in every professional <clears throat> competition of both hemispheres. It's not bad. It's not yeah, well... Bad. But what, how do you find the difference of the referees? Or if you well, can answer the question. The, the, two, the two referees is... Um, is 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 very different. I mean, I think it's getting introduced twenty twenty in Super League. Is that perhaps? Perhaps. Yeah. This is just me reading out, playing Doctor Google. Um, <laughs> no, look. Uh, it obviously changes the ruck. Um, the the one thing I've noticed about the British game is is uh, the crowds are just so much more ruthless. But they're also more appreciative when you're doing when you're doing the right thing and you're doing the good things, and that probably is for both mm. the player and the referee. Um, I don't know. That. Obviously less, <laughs> obviously less for you guys. But um, look, yeah, I guess you have more time to check your onside. You have more time to check your A, B, and Cs from a ref. This is me saying what I think from a refereeing perspective would be like, uh, and less time to look at the ruck because someone else is doing that job for you. Um, I, th I think it would be good for Super League to have the two referees, but then you've got to look at, as, as 
Ben mentioned, the budget that they have, is that going to give less time, less full-time referees, or are you going to bring more into it and just up the budget? I mean, we've got the—I don't know how if that works, but if the TV deals uh, trickle down with the referees, I'm assuming it does. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd like to see two two referees. Um, I don't know. What about you? I'd prefer to see um, a video referee every game first. Yeah. So you've got far more of a consistent <clears throat> level playing field. That'd be my first choice. That um, every game had a video referee. At. Um, do we have the resources to uh, have two referees? We could have. Yeah. Um, financially, there's got to be some input in from somewhere. Yeah. Because um, it can't be run on a on a, a shoestring budget. It yeah, we'd hate it's, to it's got to be, be done properly. If you yeah. want to do something, you've got you've got to throw stuff at it. I, I do think for the on a personal point for the game to be more consistent, you look at decisions, key decisions being made, and things like that. When you have two games or possibly three games if Catalan at home on TV and three not on TV, there's a slight inconsistency. Well, there's yeah. massive inconsistency um, because some decisions get checked and referred and can be accurate, whereas some can't. And, and sometimes and human error and things like that is always going to be on people going over in the corner to score tries and things like that. I think that's generally where we see that there is the odd mistake yeah. when you don't have the live... But I'd like to see that first. Um, I weren't for two referees before. I've opened to it when we did some trials, I think, in 2014, um, 15, and it was different. Yeah. Um, it would take away, I think, the sometimes personality. And you're looking at Paul and like he played with Breers and people like that. Sometimes yeah. your different personalities can manage players differently. Um, I, I think in the NRL it is really structured, yeah. so it might not suit all referees. You might have some referees under a two-referee system who might shine because the role is set and things like that, um, and other people might dwindle away, if you like, because of the, the, how it is set up and things like that. Would the rook be quicker just because it had two referees? I, I don't know. Should we bring back playing the ball properly? That, that we'd make sure the, foot ball, on the ball if the foot up foot was on the ball, it'd make sure the game the ball was played and it might be easy to judge. Yeah, you'd miss one and two every now and again, but But isn't that in the rules? Are you it? not meant to touch it with your foot? This is well, what annoys me with uh, when I'm watching games sometimes and people don't play it with the foot. It's in the rules. Why do we not penalise it? it? It's in the rules, but we, we brought in this policy. Yeah. We want the game to flow and, and the ethos, if you like, of, of what they want. They, they want the game to flow and therefore they're then brought in and this is a law, laws committee, not not the referees department. They brought in where the player just made a motion towards the ball. Yeah. So actually, it goes from being playing it with your foot to motion. And some people's views on what a motion is is different to the other. Mm. Some people might put the foot against the ball when the ball's already gone out the acting halfback's hands and things. So it, it's different. I don't think it's a massive issue. I think it would tidy it up. Uh, and we've looked at Gans brought in the thing about what we brought in earlier in the month about passing the ball playing the bonus man behind the back of the rook and it worked. Mm. I, I think that's got it sorted out straight away and good on him for getting that and, and yeah, sticking by his guns and, and, and it did work. Maybe that might be the next thing as well because that would make sure the ball is played properly. Yeah, you would miss one if somebody misses it by that much, but if at least he's making a genuine attempt, yeah, uh, I, think, <clears throat> I, I think it would be better. Yeah, I think if you're really scrutinised foot has to touch the ball you're opening a can of worms that yeah. could never end I mean we had it a few years ago and I remember Alex Brown I can't remember what he played at Hull and I, I penalised him five times 
in a friendly in a derby because we just went out and were told if that mm. ball doesn't touch his foot you penalise him you don't talk to him you don't um, warn him or anything like that and it was embarrassing I got booed the first three times then they booed him and then, and then when he played the ball properly they clapped <laughs> the entire crowd so Bizarre, it, they used to do that when I used catch a ball <laughs> <laughs> fifth time they'd clap but you, th this is the thing as well uh, I, I think the interpretation from each referee is, seems a little bit different on, on certain rules and do you think that we are probably this is a question that's come from uh, the, the Twitter but I'm nicking it do you think we're over scrutinising the game do you think we, the the one thing that really annoys me, and I speak to to uh, fans around the grounds, that the obstruction rule that really yeah. that grinds my gears when, it's, when I when get it's, when, when it's, it's a, a common sensey sort of thing. And the a, ball's gone. Yeah, it's a common sense thing. The defenders made the wrong decision, and that's the whole point of it. Uh, uh, we'll call it a decoy runner, someone who's running through the line is to attract defenders. He's he's obviously going to make contact with him at some point, and the, and the tries a perfect it's try. It's a perfect try. So, so what's your take on that, Ben? Yeah, I I think you're looking now, if you like, over the last month. I think. Whilst we've sorted this thing out in the rook and players have been told this is what will happen with that, if you look on obstruction, um, whilst we've got our parameters and what it says in policy and things, if the ball's gone and the score in the corner and the referee thinks there might have been a slight obstruction near the post, he'll let it go. Yeah. Whereas I think before, and rightly so, because obviously you're judged on um, errors if you like critical errors in games obviously points being scored is a critical error if if a player's obstructed in that vicinity or a gap is created and he uses that gap to score then you check it um, and it'd be disallowed since this is coming though which is quite funny I can't remember and I do quite a bit of video refereeing as well and, and watch all the games I can't remember an obstruction being checked which is another good thing which says you know what there's a slight obstruction here we're just going to leave it because it's not his player says man they've got the ball out wide they've scored and I get the frustration bit of before oh just a minute that's an obstruction here because he's not been able to get across to him but just a minute the pass is out wide and there's a massive overlap and they've scored because of a defensive error mm. and the player coming in which I think in the last month I think referees <laughs> have read it better because we have left things alone which are not in the vicinity of where the ball is one of the the things I notice as well with, with this rule is players are taking advantage of it. So they're actually running into the decoy runner, hitting the deck and hoping that the try is going to get disallowed, yeah, yeah, which yeah. if it's, there's a video ref there, nine times out of ten, it's going to get disallowed. So it again, it, for me, decoy runners and coaches will always say, always expect the ball, no decoy mm. runners. But if, effectively, that lead runner is sort of trying to attack attract defenders the back runner is also trying to do the same and that ball carrier has got to make the decision whether he hits the lead runner if mm. the two defenders draw to him he hits the man out the back so he's he's done his job effectively so I just don't know how we're going to get around that without him making contact I think the way we've looked at it and the way that we looked about the man throwing the ball into him yeah, and the man deliberately playing the ball into a player I haven't seen many players know him full well now that the ref might not check it because he's encouraged not to check it if the ball's far away. You've not seen as many players in the last month. It didn't a magic weekend. I'm not even sure. Do we have a check for an obstruction of magic? No, I didn't. We did. We didn't have one. Uh, and obviously, it bashed the week before. They didn't have um, the video referee. And again, I don't think there were many issues there. 
but you've not had many players dive on the floor or as you say no. yeah do I just go across and mm-hmm. or it's contact with me oh I'll go on the floor because I know it's the right side shoulder and things like that it is something that's spoken about when you're not on a TV game within playing groups. I know that because it's, mm. that's been, I won't say the clubs, but it, it has happened when you, or, or you recognise that another member of a different team, your opposition, is, does it a fair bit. Mm. Uh, whether the game's on TV or not, that they will go down for that and be extra careful. But it's, it's always going to be a grey area, isn't it? Because if you're running the lead and he gets attracted by you and I'm out the back and I score the try... You, you have to give that an obstruction. It's when it goes past that yeah. where you think, listen, <clears throat> he's not going to get there. Well, um, an- another scenario is, and you'll see a lot of teams do this, is they'll have uh, what we'll call it a drop-off runner. So the mm. halfback gets the ball, runs across the line, and he gets someone and he sort of shows it on the inside. Now, that man, to be a convincing runner, and A, he can, he can either receive the ball, but if B, he doesn't receive it, to be convincing and trying to attract defenders and slow that defensive line from sliding over, he's got to run into the line. He's mm. got to be that convincing that he's got to go through the line. If he goes through the line, it's it's virtually impossible not to touch a defender. Yeah. And I've seen those get chalked off as well. Which we were doing. Uh, and again, I, I think if it's in the vicinity, as Jai said before, then there's a chance. Yeah. If it goes up to the screen, it could get overturned. But if the ball's out wide... And he's had no effect on playing that player who may have been obstructed slightly because there's been a slight touch, even though the man's tried to get through the line. If that happens, then obviously we're letting that go and you just end up looking at the grounding, maybe if the flag goes down in the corner and something like that. Not an obstruction that took place 30 metres away. Mm. Yeah, right. Well, um, we'll take the heat off you for a little bit because we've been peppering you. We'll get some more light-hearted questions. I've got loads um, of questions for uh, you. Would, this, you. Is, this is the most excited podcast that um, we've been involved in. (laughs) Yeah, right. um, We'll get right into that. uh, But first, we'll go to a quick break. Have you got a future superstar at your amateur club? Get your videos in now to the Bachelors Mushy Peas Amateur Try of the Week. Just upload your videos to the Rugby AM Facebook page. Each week, the winning try gets a Bachelors Mushy Pea official ball and they go into the competition for Try of the Season where one lucky team will win the chance to train with a Super League team of their choice. Outstanding prize for outstanding talent. Thanks to Bachelors Mushy Peas. Welcome back. All right. We'll uh, take a look at your career, your Wikipedia career, mate. So oh, this God. could be complete bullshit because it said <laughs> it said that I was um, said that I was five eight and I'm clearly six foot. So um, uh, five ten, one seventy eight. No. Born in Wakefield, nineteen eighty one, thirtieth of August. Uh, yeah. Does that mostly, mean I'm older mostly than you? Just. You're, you're two months older than me. All uh, right. Robert Hicks will tell, remind you that um, that now makes me the oldest ref. So I've gone from the youngest. Yeah, you're smiling. I thought you would be. From the protege to the week. old bull. <laughs> I mean, Carl Wilson. <laughs> uh, no, anyway, 2005. Uh, so 327 appearances in the Super League, 38 Challenge Cups and 15 internationals which is a that's a that's a fair crack of the whip that mate um what what's the highlight of your refereeing career um you got a moment first, you got a- I, I enjoyed going the first meeting uh that I went to as a grade one referee at red hall greg mccallum was the boss it was 2001 i was just gone 20 and you had stuart cummings refereeing russell smith the Connollys, 
Steve Ganson, Steve Presley, Cal Kirkpatrick, Colin Morris, Richard. This room was like, wow. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, you know what? I had a chance to go in up, but, but didn't actually expect it. And we got a phone call on the Monday night of Jerry Kershaw, and the meeting was on the Tuesday. So it weren't you given like a couple of weeks to even think about stuff. And I was at uni at the time and, and things like that. But that was, that was great off the field. And then um, you always aspire like a player to, as a ref, to like go to Wembley and things like that. So to referee at Wembley was um, quite exciting. It was all emotional beforehand because you had like Lizzie Jones singing yeah, yeah. Abide With Me and, and Danny had passed away that year. Um, and then obviously, the game was a bit of a damp squid because it was 50 nil to Leeds. Um, but then the, I'd, luckily enough, six weeks later, I the grand final, which was um, probably the highlight of my career. Yeah. Leeds winning 22-20 in a, in a thriller, if you like, which was end-to-end -end against Wigan. And it was a really, really tough atmosphere. Full full house at Old Trafford. And there'd been 80,000 at Wembley as well. So that was, that was something different. And, and in the World Cup, I enjoyed um, being around there. And when I flew, I think... I, 11 or 12 different uh, places to do games, yeah. mainly video refereeing. And, and to be involved in the World Cup final, video refereeing was something different again. And, and the way that they do it, you're in the ground, you're, you're in a booth in the ground right at the top of the stadium, Suncorp looking down over, um, it is, it's quite impressive. Yeah, you can't really beat a Suncorp. It's just so tight, isn't yeah. it? And they, they really get behind them, them fans. What did you say, grand final or challenge cup final, if you had to pick one? I enjoy the Challenge Cup final. I, I you, you run out for a grand final and it's just the same as any other game. You do a line-up now. You, you didn't in um, 05, oh, sorry, 15 when I refereed it. You ran straight onto the field and got on with the game. The Challenge Cup, obviously, you line up, you meet the dignitaries, there's a fanfare, there's a bide with me, there's everything else going off. Um, and you've got the hype of walking around London and being in London for a few days, whereas Old Trafford is very much like this is like the premiership, the last game of the season, bang, you go out and you get it done and everybody goes home afterwards and things like that. Um, I'd go Challenge Cup final, probably because brought up as a kid watching um, the Challenge Cup final and things like that on TV. But the grand final when Old Trafford is full, uh, no matter what role you play or if you're down on the dugout, so even just watching as a spectator, I don't think you can beat that. And with... We've not had many disappointing grand finals, have we, if you look oh, back over the years? Well, you might, yeah, but... <laughs> to but, myself. Uh, but I mean, the scores, from a, spect from a spectator point of view then, from a spectator point of view, yeah. I don't think there's been many, there might have been the odd one where teams have won 40 nil and things like that, but mm. generally they have been tight and generally been the best two teams or mm. a couple of the best two teams you can't play in it. It's, it's it's strange to sort of describe it, but there is a different atmosphere. A Challenge Cup final, it's played in August and it's a daytime and the, the and crowd's it's different. And everything and everything else, yeah, yeah, it's still quite warm. And, and when you're playing a grand final, it's October and it's a nighttime game. I think there's, there's positives and negatives to both, obviously. Not I, hated the, I hated Old Trafford's pitch. And it, it, like just the, the time of year, it's just it's greasy, they wet yeah. it. It's, it was raining already. We were using rhino balls. Literally everything, oh, a winger's worst nightmare. It is, it is something different because the sun's beaming down at Wembley uh, and you can see all the flags and things like that where I, I thought when you ran out of Old Trafford and you've got that little bit of a slope onto the grass yeah. and you're teared up there, you can't see the fans mm. and it's like watching something on an Xbox Live. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, it like you're actually running around like that because you, you, you're so brought in with Old Trafford. The noise is just buzzing. You can't hear who's singing for who and things like that. Um, 
and it was completely different. So the Old Trafford thing on that thing on the field is something. The dead ball lines at Old Trafford as well. Straight down from the, the try line Straight to the off, dead mate. ball line. There's like no worry whatsoever. Yeah. It, yeah, you wouldn't be able to score deep corner, but um, just just. <laughs> Not that I wouldn't know anyway. Well, yeah, I got one chalked off and I went flying over that thing, actually. Um, just on, so, as a, as a pl- from a player's point of view, you have different things you're chasing. Obviously, the Grand Final, Challenge Cup Finals, everything, but then you've got your personal uh, in-game thing. So, for me, it's the, it's the fairy tale finishes, the things in the corner, the, the, the game-changing moments. And for Woody, it's, you know, the big hits and the, the, the graft and the losing, losing a nut and everything like that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> what is <laughs> what is it for a, re- a referee, is it the occasion? Is it the Anfields or the, the, the New Camps or the, um, is it the nail-biting finishes where, where, you, where you made the correct call? Or, or what is it where you get that, that thrilling moment? Do you know what I mean? You obviously go out there to, to enjoy it, but you don't actually enjoy it probably while you're, you're doing it. You enjoy, the enjoyment comes afterwards, I think. Um, sometimes close games, I find personally to focus on and things like that, it is far easier for me to focus on something that's tight um, and an, an occasion doesn't really, what's the word, uh, nerve you. But that might mean because I've done uh, a few games and things like that. And yeah. um, But you, you get it because I remember like refereeing at Feverson and things like that and feeling nervous when I'd just come through. And then I was at New Camp the other week and it was just like going out just refereeing a a normal match yeah um and, and so the the occasion doesn't but you go out there and your aim as an official like you say is to involve in something that's tight and exciting and free flowing but also to ensure that you come off and hope that you've not made a decision that's influenced if you like the score of the game yeah. so and we if you come off and that's not <clears> happened no matter what the game is then that's your first bit and the first bit you obviously go out to do your best and try and let the game flow try and let the game flow see what the game gives you and see when you need to step in and what's needed yeah. from a from a player's point of view I, I knew when I started a game sometimes five ten minutes into a game I think do you know what I'm off a little bit today and, and un- unfortunately in sport it happens with human beings we can't be at the pinnacle every single week when do you know that in a game where you think, do you know what, I'm off a bit today. I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite at the races because it happens. Is it you know? in the game or is it not until after? Because, well, yeah, you obviously tell us. I would feel like it would be after. There's some, there's some times when you know if you've not been in a position to make a call, for example, and you've relied on your touch judge, mm. and and thought, you know what, that's infield that really needed to be mine, and you've got no idea till after a game if that's right, wrong, or indifferent. Sometimes if you make a call yourself. No matter if it's right or wrong, you've made it, you move on. If you've had to make a call and you've had no idea on it, sometimes that can do also you've got to like you say, Paul M say, Come on, I've got to switch back. Come on, Ben, you've got to get mm. get on this now. But and but you've it, then got to be the one who you know who's gotta work your ass off around that field yeah. to get into position to, to make judgments and calls. Sometimes you 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 know what to do, but you just can't do it because you optimally you're not there you might be fatigued you might have had two nights of the shittest sleep and you're just not up to that game like how do you deal with that because I know as a player every coach I've had is would say you know you drop a ball you get back in that moment you forget about it you move on so we, we all know what to do but how do you how do you deal with it when you think do you know what I'm shit I'm off a bit today I'm not I'm not quite at the races you, you've got to focus you've got to be I, I like the point that once you cross that white line, that's it. 
So everything else external to what's going off, for 80 minutes, it's just that match. And you should have prepped, no matter what level of the game you're refereeing at, to be one, be fit enough and mentally fit enough as well to, to officiate that game. And that's just in case if you're not from the off. If something happens from the off, somebody gets whacked and you've not seen it properly from the first tackle of the game, or you know the ball comes loose at first, which sometimes can happen. Sometimes that can be good. That happens in the first set of the match and you're like, I haven't had a view on that. That can be, then you've come on, you've got to, you've got to be on this now um, from the off. And luckily, we have some good lads on the side as well uh, coming in with input. But generally, you want to go out there and be confident and make the decisions yourself and not rely on anybody else. And that, that goes to the screen as well. Some, I know people think, oh, God, they're checking it again. But actually, you know, nine times out of ten, you're only checking something because you want to be 100% sure you're right. Yeah. Not because I can't be bothered to run over there and see if he's grounded it in the corner. Because the live call thing now, I think, is massive as well. Because you want to make sure, if you can, to try and get that live call right mm. as that's, an official. That's our, that's our biggest question, which we've got a few different questions on. But what, just going back to sort of your highlight, do you, let's flip the coin. Have you had a moment of real, uh, I guess, um, where you've had to overcome adversity and, and your decision was wrong? And do you have a moment where, you, where, you've, where you've had like a, you talk about one of your best moments. Have you had a, a moment where you've gone like, oh, maybe you've made a call. Do you ever get to see the screen or do you ever catch a look at the screen where you've made a call and you think to yourself, oh, and you've seen it and gone, oh, that's not. You, you don't, you, you, well, you try not to when you, yeah. you're live. When I refereed, I've always thought that. When, you, when I refereed in um, Sydney during the World Cup, you didn't have much choice because there's two massive screens at either end. Yeah. So you're like, well, where do you put your head and look? But you, you, it, it's a case of just, you've got to get out there and you, you know generally um, if, if there's an issue and, and I, I made a call in 2012 and I've been refereeing really well and I thought you know what you're 30 now you've been refereeing a while you, you've got to like up your game so I got really trained hard and things like that and there were some good refereeing refs in the group at that time to compete with and I thought you know what I'm going to aim to try and get that England versus the Exiles games I got that right I want to aim to try and get the Challenge Cup semi-final and the next one. Uh, and I got those. And then I got Leeds v Wigan in the Challenge Cup semi. And I thought, you know what, that's the hardest semi. Um, Richard Silverwood was, was the other referee and already a dedicated officially done loads of games, things like that. I thought, God, they could have given him that one and me the, like, the easier semis. Mm. And, I, and I went out and the first half had gone really, really well. And then 10 minutes into the second half, there was this big break and Leeds passed the ball. The ball goes to the ground. Um, nobody says anything, they dive over, I'm slightly behind play, and I just give it. And there's, I don't know, 15,000 people at McAlpine or John Smith's or whatever it was called at the time. And it was like, you can tell, have I <laughs> made a boo-boo? And it was a case of none of the players said anything. Nobody said anything from Wigan, they all lined up. And I remember Sam Tompkins like, pointing up at the screen going, Ben, Oh, anyone like, but Sam Tonkins. And he was like, we jumped halfway and he went, yeah. <laughs> did Danny Maguire not knock on? I was like, Danny Maguire's not even touched the ball. And as they flicked the ball backwards, Danny Maguire was a sporting player, it just touched his arm. And it went, now nobody said, none of the players, none of the Wigan players who were defending as well, said mm -hmm. boo until it appeared on the screen. And then, Five minutes later, they, they score again off a, a tight fall past the leads, and it's like, yeah. and you're like, so you you really got to get switched back on to thinking, yeah. But then you can you can have the other way around where you you know you're right, um, and 
things go against you. And I, I refereed in um, Catalan Castleford in 2016, having refereed, well, I refereed the year before and the start of 16 had gone quite well as well. Um, and I went and did Castleford and Catalan on, in um, Catalan on Easter Monday. And Easter, Easter Monday games are generally harder anyway. And you, you both know if you've played them, if you've played like 48 hours before. But we'd gone to the screen uh, and Tony Martin had asked me to check something. And we were both quite confident we got it right. But it was a case of two players going up uh, and Shenton knocked on onto the Catalan player, got it back, scored. But because it was so tight, we'd check it. And Thierry was the video referee. And, and he came back and he's going, I'm giving a try. And we're like, no, you're not. <laughs> and um, it didn't go down. It wasn't my greatest uh, moment. And it actually, it weren't until I was a, a do two years ago. And I've been asked to do some afternoon speaking. I actually went and I actually watched the clip back with the volume on because I actually, I'll admit, when I reviewed the incident, I didn't want to see it because I knew it was, it'd look awful. And I stood there arguing, you know, like something from Forty Towers. <laughs> I'm not saying Thierry's um, Manuel or anything like that, but um, it was like Basil and Manuel arguing over live on TV with millions of people watching on Easter Monday. But um, yeah, so that it's, wasn't my proudest moment. But are you, are you, you very well, self-critical? Yeah, I am. And I think that's the only way you can like... Grow. It is. It's yeah. the only way you can get on. And I said, because I, I coach a lot of the junior kids as well. And some of the stuff you see and you think, I, are, you being, are you watching a different game to me or... And things like that. you've got to be because if you're not honest with yourself, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm. But what, like, I, how, did, how do you do that though? Do you ever walk off a field and go and say to your touches, you know what, I was shit today, or do you wait till you've actually reviewed it on video? It's weird because you know what, you can come off a game thinking you've done all right, mm. and, every, and there's no complaints in there. But then you have to watch something like critical analysis, and you're looking through everything. It's like oh, that wrong. And actually, you know the score off that, but then you can come off a game thinking, "What have we done there? That's crap. We, we've missed this and things." And you can watch it back and actually go, "Actually, we've done all right." And it's weird. Some of the games that we've had in I've had in the last twelve months, we have come off and thought, "You know what? We've nailed that." There's been something. It's like, "No, what about this? Four tackles before they've scored that try?" Or actually, "Oh, we thought we got that wrong." And actually, that was a pretty poor performance. Turns out to be quite a solid performance. Mm. I think me and Giles have experienced exactly the same things as players. You know, sometimes you come off a game and you think, do you know what, video review, I can't wait for Tony Smith just pat me up back. Yeah. You go in <laughs> and you're I like, he's just absolutely hammered you. <laughs> oh, and you man. think, shit, I thought I played well. And then there's yeah. other times where you come off and you you may drop one ball and you think, wow, I was absolutely shit today. I'm dreading video review. And you go in and you get a pat on back. Yeah. It's a strange one. Well, it just doesn't get shown, but it's really interesting. <laughs> and I'm glad, I'm glad this, the whole podcast is happening with you because um, as a player, I could say, let's say I score a try, right? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident. And then I drop one that leads to a try um, that you go through the same thing as a referee yeah. during, and a lot, a lot of people don't see that. The punters mm. don't see that. The fans don't see that. And I don't think the players <clears throat> see that. That you can be, you can be going really well, and things can change in an instant. It's just a good insight. I think as as players, we can sympathise with referees. Unfortunately, you know, I speak to a lot of spectators, and they're not realistic in terms of performance and whether that's whether they're supporting the team. They want them to be at the optimal every single week. And unfortunately, referees are going to make mistakes. You know what I mean? And for me, I can accept that. I think uh, to use uh, again, going back to what Tony Smith would say to us, we've got to play that well 
we take the referee out of the equation, mm. regardless of whether he makes a bad decision. It does not matter. Our performance will be so good that referee decision doesn't affect our result. Yeah. And I think that we really do, not just in rugby, in, in other sports, referees will make mistakes, but the performance by the team or the, the sportsman has got to be that good. He takes the referee out of the, the equation. Mm. Look, I don't... I don't um a lot of people don't know this, but I am a qualified referee. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. Um, I've, so I did my certificate, uh, my one and two in Australia. Um, I started refereeing. Uh, this is a very similar situation to you, where I got I, I got a can of coke and and, and twenty dollars a twenty dollars a game to do um to do fourteens, fifteens, sixteens, and then um, I started doing that on a weekend, and uh, I eventually got to do 17s, 18s. I did my second um, certificate, which allowed me to referee uh, New South Wales or Queensland Cup. I never got to that, which is reserve grade in Australia yeah. or mm -hmm. championship here. Um, I never got to that level because I pursued the rugby career uh, on the field rather than with the whistle. But um, I did get a, a, a pretty good insight into, into what it's like coming through there. Is, is there any, um, is there any uh, player pathways to go into i know the nrl setting up a uh, sort of an ex-player pathway and i think they've got a fair few now that mm. have played the game henry, henry Panara is yeah. a player uh, bengali is a video referee yeah. over there um do they have anything like that over here and uh, yeah we do we do um but it, it's more on the way of you you come through the same sort of structure and if you you're given the same if you like coaching and guidance as everybody else but hopefully as a player you'll progress quicker yeah. So several years ago, Jamie Bloom came in. He never made it to Super League, but but Jamie refereed in Championship, uh, and he came through the the like structure. Um, Chris Kendall, who who's now one of the leading refs in Super League, he he came in having played academy at Huddersfield, didn't get kept on, so decided to have a go at refereeing, and within three years was full time. Um, Chris Campbell, he played a bit at Warrington and then yeah. Whitehead and things like that, and Rochdale. He probably came into it too late and with a couple of injuries did Chris, but within three or four years, he ended up being full-time. Yeah. But with a knee injury, he sort of fell by the way. So, but that doesn't mean uh, there isn't, no matter what your age is, because there's a guy refereeing in, in A-team now, uh, our, our academy is, is Neil Horton, who, who's from Castle, who's done a bit of coaching in the National Conference League and played a bit at Keighley and in Championship, if you like, semi-pro, and only took up refereeing in his late 30s. So there's still that chance when you finish, if somebody finishes, I'm looking at you. Um, no, I'm not. No, I wouldn't like I certainly oh. couldn't be a referee. But Simo asked this question last week and uh, one of the main reasons I feel, and we spoke about it earlier, about you know it's the budget. Um, as a player, you give away your weekends, you sacrifice a lot, your family do. I think financially, it's got to be a decent package to, for an ex-player to say, Do you know what, I'm going to show the same level of dedication, I'm going to make the sacrifices to want to come into, you know, the refer the refereeing game. Do you think that I, plays I think, a factor? I, I think there's two factors. Um, my ex-partner's uncles both played um, rugby league and uh, the Ray twins who played, one played at Castle, one played at Wakefield. Uh, and um, they'd say, why, why on earth we want to check up refereeing, Ben? They're like, why you go from being clapped and applauded to being booed <laughs> we've been next to you while you've been getting all this grief and the other side of the thing is which i think chris struggled with chris campbell is the fact that he came from a playing background and so his missus but he knew at the beginning of that season if he got picked that's where he was going to be not 
it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, full time, intense. The training's intense, you get Wednesday off, but you know what? You'll find out Monday night if you're going Thursday game, going to Catalan for the weekend, or you're finding out if you're doing a Thursday game, going to Toronto for the weekend. And if you've got a family and things like that, sometimes that obviously can be quite hard, really hard. And like you say, um, so there there is that balance. And I think that's the different side of playing where you know, you know what, in three weeks' time we play Leeds on a Thursday night, week after we're playing Cass on a Sunday, compared to being, I find out on a Monday if I'm away for the full weekend, or you know what, I've got Thursday night and then that's me done. So the planning side of it and the commitment that officials give up, I think for the reward financially is immense. What they give up, mm. uh, and it takes um, a toll, if you like, on the family life and, yeah. and personal life and things like that, it, it is really, really tough. So you have no idea, well, you're much like a, uh, a, a player that doesn't know if he's in the team that week. But, but you, know, is, you, you know, know at least, playing. yeah, you yeah. know at least that it's Sunday. Yeah. And that's it. So your, your wives, your girlfriends can plan around. We well, you know it, it, it's no chance playing or not playing. Whereas it's Monday night, sometimes Tuesday morning for the part-time guys before you find out where you're at that week. And do you get the, are you able to pick and choose at all when you're at, uh, say, let's say obviously um, just using the NRL, for example, Gavin Badger is would be the one of the better ones as opposed to someone that's coming through. Are you able to say, right, Look, I'll take the Leeds game. No. As opposed to someone... <laughs> oh, I'll do the Challenge Cup final if you like. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no, no. I mean, just in, just in season. No. Um, is there so, anything... Well, look, I've got this coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you, look, take this there's one? look, Gans is really good like that because obviously he's been part of the group as well before. Um, so if you've got weddings or things like that, yeah. and, and sometimes I'll say, you know what, you might want to go on a break and, and people are going on holiday for a week and things like that. Um, or other people have things coming up. There is some working around. You give them plenty of notice to say, mate, I want that Saturday off. I want to go to my cousin's wedding yeah. or whatever. There's some movement around. And probably put you on a Thursday, Friday, knowing that you can go to that thing and you can actually enjoy yourself, not go there, sit there all day with a Coca-Cola in your hand because you know you've got to go and referee. Because again, that won't be good preparation. So he, he knows what's the best to get out of his lads if they say, on that Saturday, I want can I have the day off? Yeah. Steve Ganson, I think, was a great referee. I know he, was, he got yeah. a lot of stick. Uh, what's it like to work for Steve? Because I, I, I've always felt like I've had a good relationship with referees. Steve sent me off once, uh, but I'll not judge him on that. But we used to have a bit of banter. And Does he encourage that side of it with the referees? Because Steve, I felt Steve was good at having a bit of banter with the players and he'd speak to you. And I was always brought up to call the referee, sir, so no matter who it was, yes, sir. And that oh, was yeah, it. Well, yeah. I'm sure you've been real polite I'm, over, I'm over telling your career, mate. Ben will tell you I was <laughs> polite yeah, yeah, to the referees. Like that. Was he? Well, we don't, we don't, he doesn't expect us to call him sir. Well, <laughs> we don't call him sir. He might expect him to. He, he ref, he, he manages, I think, very much like he ref. Hmm. He things are going well. Um, he, like you say, it, it's a, a laughing, joking, structured, happy environment to round in. If, if on games where things are wrong and not going right, then obviously he'd stand up and it's not a holiday camp whatsoever. Mm. If there's decisions that's wrong, if there's a consistent trend where we're not right as a group, then obviously his, if you like, management reflects how he refereed. He, he would stand up to that and you'd, you'd know about it. Uh, it, it's not a holiday camp whatsoever, but you know what? You know where you stand. 
if you're refereeing well and things are going well, you, you know that and vice versa. And, and on the other side of things, he's quite supportive as well if things are going wrong, to obviously try and change things around. I know you're speaking for Stevie and it'd be, it'd be good to get his answer on this, but is he glad he's out of the referee side now? What does he f think about the state of the game and the way that... Because it's funny, earlier you were saying about there's less mistakes made now by referees, but it seems that this is, as far as I can remember, uh, the most critical period of the Super League era where referees are really under the microscope, so... I think one of them. I actually think he'd, if you asked him, he'd say he'd rather be refereeing. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think hundred percent he would. He would definitely rather be refereeing. Um, and I think most people who coach said they'd still wish they were playing and things like that. Yeah, I, I've refereed um, in Super League since two thousand five, and I had one year of relegation. Then we went to licensing. Then it came back a little bit, didn't it? Mm. Then we had the million pound. Uh, games and people being relegated through that and then obviously with the Super 8s and things like that which I, I quite like that concept I thought it was quite quite good how certain play teams could move around and things like that um, but now it's back to promotion relegation which it was 14 years ago and a lot of officials who officiate now and players as well have never if you like experienced that have they um, so it is different. You you will have done, but obviously when you've been at Warrington and things like that, you you weren't, if you like, fighting for relegation some of the time. So it is different. The the challenges, the stress, the implications of every decision you make is immense. And yeah, the pressure is, I think, far higher than it has ever been throughout my refereeing career. Um, you look at the teams who, if you like, are near the bottom of the table thing compared to things like that. And it, you, you just, it is completely different. The entire league, if you like, anybody can beat anybody, which I think is great for the sport. Anybody can beat anybody. Yeah, There's definitely. no perception of what's going off. You can go to a game, these Challenge Cup games this weekend, I'll be honest, I, you've got no idea who would win. Mm. You've got no idea who would win uh, in, in any of the games. Bradford Bulls would probably win. Um, yeah, so Bradford Bulls. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I um, but you, you've got no idea when you go, so there's no perceived ideas of this is going to do or you'll play like this or anything like that because you go and you don't know what's going to happen. But the, that can sometimes be added pressure mm. um, in the way that when the, when, the, when the game is going mm. on and things like that, some younger officials might have more pressure on them to think, oh God, but it's like you should go out there as a referee and you know what, if you were refereeing, and I refereed Leeds versus Bradford in the Challenge Cup, a younger official might have thought, oh God, Bradford are beating Leeds here by 10 points. Yeah. That, but it's nothing to do with that. You just go out and you ref. And if you've come through, and I did loads of community games, and, and I was, I suppose, one of the last ones, if you like. I refereed 120 games in NFP in championship before I got into Super League. NFP. NFP. Showing you play that? Yeah. NFP. NFP. Yeah. I don't know what NFP is. NFP is the championship. championship. And yeah. it's called the NFP, and they're all in together. Um, one big division of 20 teams. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I had to do 120 games of that before I got in mm. and refereed amateur rugby league. And if you can referee amateur rugby league, you can mm. referee, seriously, you can referee anything. Mm. Um, but the pressure is immense. But if your head's on, like we mentioned before, if you're, you're in that right mindset, then when you go out there, then nothing affects you by what is on that field. Yeah, when the referee's confident, you, you, you don't notice it. Um, but when they 
when there's a few dicey calls and, and he's not confident in what he's doing, mm. it every player notices it. And I, I think that's when the pressure must be really mm. turned up. But I never really thought about um, the promotion or the million pound games or, or the things like that when obviously you would have heard in the media about um, players saying, no, oh, we should scrap this because you're, you're toying with um, blokes' careers and their, and their mortgage and stuff. And I, I never really thought about what it would be like refereeing one. Um, is the pressure completely different to a say a Challenge Cup final or a Grand Final? Yeah, because you, you know people, this is affecting people's lives in not just you know a Challenge Cup final is a Challenge Cup final. End of the day, yes, you want to win, win and yes, it's heartbreak, mm. but it's not. Listen, you're no longer. Well, when that's affecting paid. your bonus, it's life or death, mate. <laughs> when your missus has picked a, a Mulberry handbag, you better you better vote that you're winning that challenge, Corn Pal. Yeah, Don't worry no, about but that. But the, the, yeah, did the, the, the game? Do you have a chat before that? I know the million pound game was awful. Yeah, I, I refereed Liam Catalan, mm. um, not like the year before seventeen, and the whole thing about it. Although I quite like the concept of the middle eights and stuff like that, and there's got to be some way of doing it. Um, but you you go out there and on the field, you could have had a pin drop. Seriously, yeah. there was After. The, the, the intenseness. Nobody at halftime, I remember coming off at halftime and went in our dressing room and I had Robert Hicks and Chris Kendall on the line for me. We just all looked at each other and just went, Going all right. We just need to keep it. We just we just need mm -hmm. to keep it like that because the players didn't rise to stuff. They just tried to keep it really level and and mm. it weren't an exciting game like there'd been previous years when Salford beat Hull KI in that dramatic game. There, there none of that in ours. Mm. It was just a case of rugby straightforward rugby. Bam, bam, bam. And after the game, when the Hooter went. So nobody jumping up and down. No, Catalan no. weren't jumping up and That's down. That's when Sam Mowat came out with the speech after. after it was, yeah. It? yeah. I was actually involved in that game because I was a, a part of the coaching staff at Lee at the time, and uh, yeah, like you said, there was there was just no atmosphere whatsoever from anybody. No. And when the game um, finished, the Catalan players went straight over to the Lee players, no celebrations yeah. whatsoever, put their that hands was, around and walking yeah. off, and it it was an horrible, an horrible game, and it and. Because the contrast from the year before, we got promoted. We won every single game by the last one in the in the Super Eights, and then yeah. go from one extreme to another. It was just oh, it was one of the the worst things to experience. Um, but yeah, I'm so I'm so pleased that they've they've got rid of that concept. But unfortunately, again, I always say it's the industry we're in. We you know we fight to get promoted, and we've yeah. got to fight not to get relegated. I think it's a lot better now. You've got a you've got a whole year to change the way. Playing. What about the rule changes, Ben? Do you, it seems to me every single year there's a rule change, and I get that we're trying to make the game more exciting and faster, but there's always rule changes. What's your perception of it from a referee's point of view? Do you get pissed off with it, saying, look, another <laughs> rule change here, belting? Or, or anything that you'd like to see changed or taken away, uh, necessarily? I quite like the shot clock. I think that's quickened things up. Yeah. Uh, both goal line dropouts and scrum. That really has quickened that up. I've, I actually sometimes wish those players, instead of, we get to a point where you're, you, you're ready for a scrum and they'll go, oh, Ben, we've got 15 seconds left. And it's like, no, you're ready. Let's then pack we, down, mate. Let's, let's just get on with it. Have we had a shot clock penalty? One in championship. Because we've not I, had one in Super League. There was one in Super League at Cass. Um, and the thing didn't work. It didn't, because you had one end that froze, didn't you? Yeah. And I think they play Saints because yeah, everyone Catalan. was just sat there going, yeah. hey. the one, the one <laughs> at the Princess Road end or whatever it's called, yeah. where they're dropping out from is working 
and the one at the far railway end paused on nine yeah, seconds. And, no and I can't remember who was <coughs> dropping out for um, St. Helens. They were like, oh, it's still yeah. counting down. They got absolutely spanked, so it wouldn't have changed the game. I'm so happy I'm not playing now with yeah. a shot clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll go on to the most asked question. Um, Anthony Gelling did get in touch. He asked, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it was a lot better now I don't see him. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh yeah, yeah. You don't see him. Championship. That's, was that a crack at him? No, no. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> one one. Um, look. Uh, so the, he asked, should we, we should we scrap the the video ref? But I think the most asked question was, and uh, well, I guess we'll, I'll give my opinion. You can give your opinion, and then we can get with your opinion on it. And that is uh, the on field decision where. Um, it goes to try or no try, and you have to make a decision. Now, I've got no problem with the, the video ref. I think we, I think it is a key part of the game. I think um, if you if you had to make an on-field decision <clears throat> straight away, and then we went to the video ref or the the video replay for the people at home, and you and it's wrong, then it, it it's it, that's crazy. But um, I guess the 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 biggest thing in the limelight for me is where you have to make a decision, and you're not sure. Um, for me, uh, it, there, there has to be time off. Listen, mate, check that. My view was obstructed. I'm not sure. If the video ref cannot make the call because his view is obstructed, it goes back to you. And that, that's based on the fact that no one else had your view. Mm. So, listen, nothing gets said and you give it try or no try and that's end of it. Um, but at, at this stage, you're having to make a call. You have to send it upstairs as whatever. And, and that changes the game. The Saints game where uh, uh, Saints against Salford, where it was a try right on the, on the... I thought if that went up as I'm not sure, then that's a knock on because he sort of does mm -hmm. lose possession of the ball. But because it goes up as try, mm -hmm. he's got no choice. You, can't, you couldn't give uh, direct evidence that it, it was no try. But what, what's, your, what's your opinion on it? Well, first of all, for me, the... Going to the video ref constantly, it's a tr I've got to try, can you check this out? So we've, we've just been speaking about the shot clock, that's there to speed the game up. But for me, and I sp this is what I was speaking to Ben about in uh, Barcelona in the airport, when we're constantly going to the referee, it subdues the game. People are sat waiting for a decision and that decision can be one minute, two minutes, three minutes. And I think it just takes the whole momentum out of the game. So what I would like to see is referees just make a call and you touch judge at the time, said, well, would you sooner get it right or wrong? To be honest, I'd sooner you just make a decision. If you think it's a try, just have that bottle to say, you know what, it's a try. And it's not a dig at you, Ben. It, the video ref's there to be used. So you're using it, but I think I'd sooner referees just be confident in the decision that they're making and said, you know what, that's a try, blow it, kick, game kicks off again and we keep the game fast. It, again, in, going back to Barcelona, I was sat there as a spectator too many times going to video ref and it just... It just subdued well, the game a bit well they're, they're two different points what we're making I don't I think if if you if there's any inkling of you not being sure the video ref sh should be used but but if a referee's saying I've got to try check that then it's a he must think that's a try well that's what brings into play the question that I've asked if he couldn't see he has to make an, they're obligated to make an on-field decision what let's get the let's where do you, we have we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I, my, my, no, my my point, Jai, is is if you're unsure, fair enough, go to the video ref. But too many but times, what do you go we, up as when you're unsure. But, but we, 
No, that's what, that's I, I've right. got right. a no so try. Let, let me ask him then, how many times is too many? Because he said this and he might have been slightly um, intoxicated still in the airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the video referee only got called on twice in Barcelona, which shows how drunk he was <laughs> during the match. And um, You were working over there, weren't you? <laughs> uh, well, it, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, so he got called on twice. One of them... I thought it were a poor call. The fact that you, you're right, he, his foot's on the line. So what he's watching, yeah. and, and Mark Kramer's one of the better touch judges that we have, um, he missed it. I think the touch and stuff like Felt that. Felt bad about that in airport. Though, well, then. you should have done now. Thinking, <laughs> you, only, you think we went six times and we only went twice. But anyway, that's a surprise. Um, Typical. I think, I think there's loads of different things. I, I weren't for a live call at the beginning because of what Jai said, some of it. Yeah, and Tony Smith was the first person to say to me. Tony Smith said, you know what, sometimes you're guessing, so mm. I don't agree with it. The the only thing is within it is, if you aren't sure, you would normally give a try. But if it's on a dead ball line situation where you're not sure if he's grounding it or not grounding it, and you can't see the ball, and you touch it just 15 metres away because there's a body and you're going to try and he's clearly grounded it dead or he's going to go with you, the video referee, because he can't see, then I, I'm not sure in dicey water there. I would... I would rather go back to uh, no live call a video referee sits in the truck <clears throat> looks at it so many times he's not going well he's give this so I've got to there's got to be sufficient evidence yeah. to overturn him no you know what I'm looking at this in my opinion that's a knock on I'm giving a knock on yeah because there's almost you no would, reason to go to would. the only time and we still have this in law so this is covered in law when he's going try and he can't see the ball at, at this minute in time then it comes up back a try. Yeah. But if they're diving over to score a try and you have got you can't see that ball is held up or it's not down, then you give a try anyway because that's yeah. it. Laws of the game, you give the benefit of the doubt to the attacking side. Yeah. Whereas sometimes we don't give the benefit of the doubt to the attacking side because we're saying now you have to have sufficient evidence to overturn the live call. So if I go no try, and actually you can't see that the ball is on the ground, you're going to come back no try. Mm. Whereas under what used to be the old system and the laws of the game you give it. We are encouraged to give it more, to, to just give tries, like like Woody said, we're encouraged just to give them. And you've seen throughout this thing is the game stop start, we brought the shot clock in, we don't want the game stop start. Major calls sometimes and the ball, both dive for the, the ball and it goes dead and you have no idea, yeah. Mm. Quick two check, give a drop out and ask to check it. And in that time, the 35 seconds for that shot clock to go off won't have gone off. So, so you're all right on that on that period. I think continuously checking on on poor things, and that was the, the night before when we were thinking uh, you'd mentioned watching the game in the bar. Yeah, there's sometimes they've gone to the screen when there was no need whatsoever. Yeah, when um, I said too many times, I weren't necessarily saying in the Barcelona game. I mean, in general, too many times when it's obvious from watching it, whether you're at the stadium or whether you're watching it on TV, it seems like everybody else can see it's a try, yeah. but the referee doesn't see it. And it's as though they're saying, mm, I've, got this, I've got this little devil on my shoulder saying it's... I need to get it checked. We've got the benefit of a replay, so we'll play devil's No, mate, I'm talking about when I'm in oh, the stadium yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. sat in the stands Look, and I watch and I say, that's a try. Why has he gone to the video ref? If you're ref... Put it this way. If you're ref and... I'm backing you refs up here. I'm backing the refs up here. If it's 22-20, 60,000 people watching, you're the referee and you're like, Look, I think that was a try. Do you just bang out the... No. But I've just said, no. yeah, you, you, you're taking it the wrong you, you, 
you're using different words. I'm not saying if he thinks it's a try, just give the try. What I'm saying is it's a blatant try. They stood directly in front. Everybody can see the ball's been grounded, but yet they're going to the video referee. That is what annoys me. If he is unsure, then fair enough, send it up to the screen. But don't send it up to the screen when you stood directly in front. Everybody in the ground can see it's a try. And he's saying, I've got a try, but just check this grounding. It's as though they're saying... I'd, I'm doubting myself here. I'm doubting myself. I'm going to get it checked. Or the the Adam Swift, where they went, check this. The Adam Swift. Was, what's, was, come on, Ben. What's happening here, the Adam Swift? That's where he, that's where he annoys went, me. He went a mile through the air and dropped That's what makes me turn the game off. Yeah. When they go into the video ref, Adam Swift. You've when seen he, it, haven't you? Can you not comment on it? Well, you, that's the one that you were watching in Barcelona, weren't it? Well, yeah, that's yeah. the one where so, I was speaking. Well, yeah, he was in Barcelona. Where he went, he went. He was in the Barcelona. If you were watching it, they'd been watching in a bar as well, so that <laughs> might have been why he thought they're all, they're all at New Camp. Right? I give a try when I was watching it. You were at the New Camp, you were at the New Camp. So he, so he gave a try live. That's why he no, no. <laughs> But come on, Ben, the, do, you can see why. Because no, I I, I, I'm, I'm a spectator now. I'm a spectator. I don't play the game. I don't coach the game. I'm involved in no capacity. Apart from doing the odd bit at Warrington on match day, I'm officiated with no no club I'm a, and I'm a fan and I go watching with my son. So I, I turn the game off sometimes when I see those decisions going to it. And I said, you know what? These people are incompetent and making the decision turn off. I wouldn't say they're incompetent. I'd, I'd say maybe lack of confidence or whatever. Um, I, and I, but I agree. And it'd be interesting to see that there were a few calls in that game where you just you just wouldn't check and one with where the ball down the dead and things like that. Mm. And you touch should you signal it. So on your opposite thing to what happened in Barcelona, you're saying you want him to make a call, he made a call and he still went to the screen. Mm. So I think it's there. I agree with Jai's point. If you are unsure, use it. Because I've been in cases where I've just given tries and been completely wrong. Mm. Um, so you think because you, you should be able to go up as not sure? No, I, I, no I think you have we have a stick with this live call. Yeah. And you either go try no try, or you scrap the live call, and you go bump over to you. You make the decision. Yeah. Dumb. Mm. Um, Fair enough. Like I say, I have no no qualms with or using you, it if you're unsure. I've got to try. Can you check mm. a double movement? He couldn't have been unsure about that, Adam. I know we're picking one incident, but it, yeah, it was look, a blitz. Yeah. He couldn't have been unsure about Adam Swift's decision. Why? What was the excuse to going up there? Come on. Ben. How do I know? I, I was in Barcelona, pal, weren't I? Yeah, but well, he must have done, must have done a video review and, and seen the referees through the week and he must have said, do you know what, that was a bit embarrassing. He must have, you know <clears> what I mean? Anyway. He can't come Yeah, he had the Doosby Batley game. He didn't. Uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't um, even have that. <laughs> no, no look, he did. Look, we've gone over time there. Um, I just want to say a massive thanks to Ben Thaler for coming on the show, mate. Really appreciate it. That was a great insight into, into the rugby league world as a referee. Um, we won't preview the games coming up uh, it's just Challenge Cup except go the Bradford Bulls uh, we'll see probably Warrington in a semi-final we'll, we'll dick them as well and um, <laughs> we'll go straight and then we'll see you at uh, the Wembley challenge. yeah at Wembley uh, hopefully thanks guys for listening and we'll catch you next week Woody cheers cheers Jay and Ben great referee great guy <laughs> thanks for coming on This is a Rugby AM production.